It's the North Shore Vineyard Audio Podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, part 10 of our series of Letters from Prison, where we're looking at the book of Philippians. Today's message is entitled, The Mindset of Christ. Just a quick note as well, uh, in a few weeks we will be celebrating Easter, and as part of that celebration, we are going to be moving our services from our current location in downtown Covington to about eight blocks away at the Greater Covington Convention Center. So we're going to combine both of our services because we'll have enough room for people to kind of bring some friends and uh, be comfortable like that. So that'll be uh, both of our services will be combined for a 1045 Easter Sunday service. So hope you can make plans to attend that with us. That's about all the news we got today. Don't forget, we've got devotionals posted online Monday through Friday as part of 40 Days of Faith. So, let's head to the talk. Thanks for listening. The Apostle Paul, writing from prison to the Philippian church, says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset... As Christ Jesus, who being very in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. And gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It, <clears throat> there's, there's something that you find quite often. Does anybody play classical music? We got any classical musicians in here? What what station is it? (laughs) Okay, well, one one thing you find in music quite often, and you find it particularly in in classical music, but you also find it in rock and roll, uh, is is the idea of the crescendo. Anybody ever heard of this term, the crescendo? A crescendo is, is... a high point in the music. It's where everything is building up, and then all of a sudden, Jimmy Pl- Page plays the solo to Stairway to Heaven, and, and it's like, yes! Uh, classical music, it's, it's Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, and, and you, you've gone through the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, and you've got these variations on the melody, and these, these uh, counter-melodies, and things that have been building up on one another, and then finally, they reach this, this very high point. Well, that's what we find happening in this passage of Philippians today. This is kind of a, a, a vista, a mountaintop uh, from which we get to see some of the larger things all come together. In a sense, these words uh, that we find today have kind of summed up what we've been covering for the last 10 weeks in, uh, in, in Philippians. But they, they do it rather quickly. They don't t- take ten, 10 weeks to do it. But I, I, I'll sum up these themes for you. Paul starts off this letter to the Philippians with grace and peace. Grace and peace to you guys in Christ Jesus. 
He starts off from that vantage point, and then he goes on to say to the Philippian church, I, I love you guys. I'm, I'm overjoyed every time I think about you because you guys, you guys get it. I see what God's doing in your midst. You, you sent someone hundreds of miles here to this prison cell, and y'all giving me food, and you're taking care of me. I've been hungry for a long time, but all of a sudden I've got something to eat. I've got a, a companion that's dropping by named Epaphroditus. I'm overjoyed. And then he goes on to say, you know, things are kind of tough here. This was not my plan. I wasn't planning on going to prison, starting a prison ministry, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. And he said, what makes it worse is not just that I'm imprisoned by the Romans and I'm kind of in this desperate situation, but now, now there's people who call themselves Christians who are preaching, but they're kind of doing it from bad motivation to, to try to you know, kind of make my life miserable. Paul goes on from there to say, that, you know, reality is, as bad as this situation looks, it might get worse. I might not ever get out of this prison. In fact, you know, I I could very well die before this thing is said and done. I'll be executed at the hands of the Romans. But Paul, he, he introduces these themes over and over about joy. I have joy because whether I live or whether I die, I'm going to be with Christ. I'm going to be doing the work of God. He says, no matter what happens, I have joy. And then he goes on to instruct the Philippian church, not Philippine, uh, Philippian church, that for them to have unity, to be on the same page together, to be of one heart, one mind, one spirit. And then as we talked about last week, he says, and consider others above yourself. Walk in humility towards one another. Now, quick question. Did anybody have ample chances last week to walk in humility? (laughs) I had one or two, one or two things that I was aware of. I probably had a few hundred. Uh, but what's interesting is Paul sums up all these ideas in these verses. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. In other words, Paul is saying, we have grace and peace because of Jesus. To live is Christ, to die is gain because of Jesus. We can walk in unity with one another because of Jesus. We can consider others above ourselves, walk in humility because Jesus has already done it. You know, one kind of aggravating thing that you you find sometimes in history, I remember uh, reading about an American general back in the Revolutionary War, and I forgot his name today, but he was one of these guys that when the battle got pretty bad, he just tucked tailed and ran, you know? He, he kind of uh, covered his butt and got out of there and, and just made sure that, that he protected his own self. And I think many times when soldiers or troops get the idea that their commanding officer is asking him to do things that he would never do, that doesn't increase your morale, does it? <laughs> you know, like, hey, y'all go out there and fight these guys, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit back here and make sure everything's good with the computer. Uh, but, the, but we, also, we also find many times in history that there are these generals who actually don't just send their troops into battle, but they actually go out on the front lines. And those kind of people, they incite the greatest kind of loyalty. Well, Paul, in essence, is saying, you have the same mindset as Christ. Jesus isn't asking us to do anything that he hasn't already done. He's not up in heaven, far removed and detached from us lowly humans saying, you know, love one another, prefer one another, do good to one another. No, Paul's saying, dude, Jesus has already done it. 
He already came. He lived 30 years as a human before he ever did any ministry. 30 years just being a human. And then he goes on to do his ministry, even going to the cross. And Paul's saying, because of Jesus, he's the only shot we got at being humble, at pursuing unity, at holding up under pressure. You know, I, I started off with this kind of musical phrase, crescendo, because in, in many senses, it's, it's, it's interesting noting that what Paul uses in these words Many Bible scholars actually think that he didn't actually write it. He's actually qu- quoting the lyrics of, of a U2 song that back then. No, uh, <laughs> he, Paul is actually, what, what many scholars think, it's obvious that these words were kind of poetic, so they think that it was likely a, a, a hymn of the early church. If not a hymn, it was a, a creed that, that they, they probably recited together. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had a worship song that kind of put everything together for you. Like, you may have understood things intellectually, but all of a sudden you're worshiping and there is a lyric or something that just, it puts it all together. We sang a song here a few weeks ago called I Cry Out, and this is a very old vineyard song. In fact, it was the first vineyard song I was ever introduced to. I was on a, I was back in 19... 93. I was uh, just pretty brand new Christian, and I was on this missions trip down in Costa Rica, and this, this uh, guy who was leading our trip, Scotty Meads, he, uh, uh, we're out in the middle of this jungle. I mean, like, it was a six-hour bus ride to get to the river, and then it was another two-hour boat ride to get to this place that, I mean, literally inaccessible by anything other than a boat. And we're out in the middle of these rainforests by the side of this river, and about 20 of us, and Scotty starts leading that song, I cry out for your hand of mercy to heal me. I am weak. I need your love to free me. O Lord, my rock, my strength and weakness, come rescue me, O Lord. For you are good. For you are good to me. All of a sudden, you know, I'd, I'd actually gone to Bible college for a few months, and I'd been in all kinds of classes about the Bible, and I don't remember anything from that. <laughs> but in that moment, singing that worship song, all that stuff came, uh, it all came together. And I, I was like, I get it. I get God's love a little bit better now. I get God's grace. I get God's strength and weakness. So now every time I sing that song, I, I'm, I always see a picture of Costa Rica. Do you have songs that kind of take you back to a certain point in your life? Yeah. And just hearing them, it brings you back. I would like to think, being a pastor, that everything that I say here on Sunday mornings, that, that you, you're holding on to every word, and, and, and come Thursday or Friday, you're like, wow, remember point two from last week's message? That was really good. I think we need to apply this. But, but I know probably in reality, as, as much work as I put into it, that most people about 20 minutes into lunch have forgotten about 60% of, of what I've said. Now, now, Mary disagreed. She said that, that no, we remember it all. But Mary's... Mary's got the gift of encouragement, so that, that doesn't count. Uh, <laughs> no, it counts, Mary. I don't have the gift of encouragement, do I? <laughs> you just said no. That wasn't very encouraging either. <laughs> Honest. Well, so in this, in this part of the, 
of the book of Philippians, Paul has something so big to say. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Paul has something so big to say that he's not going to appeal to just intellectual arguments at this moment. He's not going to just try to to whittle it down to logic. Right now, Paul needs something that can convey the, the greatness, something that will expand the view of Christ for these believers. And so Paul turns to art. He turns to music. He turns to lyrics. He t- turns to poetry. And, and the poetry doesn't come through so much in the ling- English language, but for those people who originally heard it, this could have very well been a song that they sang in the Philippian church. And now Paul is saying, this is it. This is the view of Christ. You know, there's, there's a few Bible commentators that have noted that, there's, uh, that these verses we're looking at in Philippians today, that, that there's kind of a counterbalance between this idea that Paul's introduced in, in Romans 5, uh, verse 12 through, I got, I got it on your uh, outline there, verse 12 through 19, yeah. Uh, Paul introduces this idea of the first and second Adams. In other words, Paul goes on to, to say that, that Adam, when Adam wanted uh, autonomy from God, sin and death and destruction came into the world. And so we've kind of been under this ever since then. We've had this kind of in our genetics, we've had this predisposition towards sin and destruction and strife and anxiety and all that stuff. And that's, that's kind of the, all the descendants of Adam. But, but Paul says, but, but Jesus came as the second Adam. He came in a whole different way. See, Adam, Adam wanted something that he couldn't have. Adam was grasping to get the knowledge of the, of the tree, of, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He wanted that knowledge apart from God. He wanted to be like God. Jesus, on the other hand, as the second Adam comes on the scene, and he puts his godness aside to step into our world, to show us what Jesus is like. I want to recap something I mentioned last week, but I kind of quoted the Luke version, and, and we'll look at the... Uh, Mark version of, of what Jesus said. Uh, Mark ten forty two through 45. Jesus calls his disciples together and said, You know that those who are regarded as, as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become the greatest among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is such... I mean, this idea is, is pretty revolutionary today, right? I mean, we don't have a whole lot of leaders in our world who don't lord it over people. You know, that's kind of the way of the world. But understand, back at this time, when Jesus introduces this idea to his followers, it was so vastly different from what they saw in the world around them. You ever heard of this guy named Alexander, Greek guy who conquered a good bit of the world? Well, Alexander, just uh, not, not too, too, you know, a couple hundred years before this, Alexander had conquered most of the known world at that time by age 33. And he did such a good job at it. He was, he was such a, a, a great subjector of people and so good with uh, his armies and stuff and his strategies that they began to speak of Alexander that he must be a god. 
He must be the son of God. And so they begin to worship him. There, there became this idea of the, you know, kind of the cult of the emperor. Well, the Romans, they always picked up everything from the, the Greeks. And so uh, they, by the time Augustus came around, who was also known as uh, Caesar, um, Julius, that one, uh, Augustus, when he came along, again, the Roman Empire, he united everybody. He was so good at it that he began saying he was the son of God. And actually, there's a term that, that we hear in evangelical Christianity quite a bit. You know, can you, will you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Well, you know what? The Christians didn't invent that idea. They got it from the Romans. Because the Romans would refer to Caesar as Lord and Savior, as the Son of God. And so the Christians come along, and it puts them in, in, in real opposition to Rome. That's why they were getting just uh, persecuted cra- you know, in, in crazy ways for a while there. <laughs> because they were saying, Caesar's not Lord and Savior. Jesus is Lord and Savior. Jesus is the true Son of God. But Jesus didn't come the same way that, that Augustus did and that Alexander did and that most of the rulers in our world came. Jesus didn't come trying to make people bow their knee to a sword. He didn't come trying to incite his followers to, to, to riot and have a revolution. Jesus introduced something that was the way of the new Adam, the second Adam. And that way was humility. It was love. It was serving others. It was, it was letting yourself be lower. And Jesus says, if you're going to be my followers, if you want to be great, great way to be great is uh, serve one another. Do things that nobody wants to do. Take care of of others around you. Take the low position. Jesus' decision was to go all the way along the road of obedience. Obedience to the divine plan of salvation all the way to the cross. This decision was not a decision to stop being divine. Now some people have read these words in Philippians and say, God Jesus did not consider his equality with God something to be grasped. He emptied himself. And some people have said, oh, well, he stopped being God. Well, he didn't stop being God. It was a decision about, uh, the decision was not a decision to stop being divine. Rather, it was a decision about what it really means to be divine. Jesus was correcting their image of what God looked like. See, these rulers, Caesar, Augustus, and all the way going back to Adam, they were just living what their view of God was, that, that they, you know, God is this one who's, who subjugates people, who forces people to follow him, and, and that's the way we do, and that's kind of the gods that they followed. Jesus comes on the scene, and he says, no, that's not what God's like at all. I, I, I heard a great Danish parable, not a parable about a Danish Homer Simpson. Um, somebody's not happy. Was it the message? <laughs> okay, there was this king. <laughs> and this king was out surveying his realm. And one day he walks up and he sees, in this, this rural area, he sees this, this farm woman across the field, and she was the most beautiful woman he had ever seen in his life. And immediately his, his heart was smitten. He was like, man, I, I, I've got to make this woman my queen. 
And so he comes back to his castle and he talks to his number one advisor, his counselor. He says, look, I met this woman yesterday. I'm just, I can't stop thinking about her. She's amazing. Most beautiful person I've ever seen. I want her to be my queen. And so the counselor said, okay, what's your plan? He said, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send uh, my imperial guard over there tomorrow and they're going to get her and bring her back to the castle and I'm going to tell her she gets to be my queen and show her all the stuff and, uh, that, that, that comes with it. And, and his counselor said, ah, look, uh, great king, pardon me, uh, but he says, I don't know if that's the best strategy because she may end up being your queen, but you might not have her heart. So you may have a, a, a wife that... that looks outwardly like your queen, but, but she's, her heart is not with you. And the king all of a sudden said, mm, you're right, that's, that's why you're my counselor. Th- thank you for that advice. So he goes off and thinks a little bit more. He says, how, how can I get this woman? So he comes back to his counselor. He says, I figured it out. Instead of sending my imperial guard to get her, I will go to her village myself and I will ask her to marry me and be my queen. Well, the counselor said, yeah, you know, there's, there's a problem with that idea too, king. Pardon me if I may speak, but he said, he said, if you go there, you might run the risk of running her off. See, King, you got to understand from an outside perspective, every time you show up, you got your imperial guard going before you, and their horses shake the ground, and, and then when it's time to introduce you, you've got these heralds with trumpets, and they make a big to-do, and I got to tell you, a farm girl out in rural part of your kingdom... You may scare her to death. She may be in fear of your awesomeness, great one. I should have said that like Jack Black. Um, <laughs> and, and the king said, oh, yeah, you're right. So the, the king went off, and for a few days he got to thinking. He's like, how can I win this woman's heart? How can I, 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 how can I make sure that she becomes my queen, but, but that she truly loves me and, and wants to be with me? And so finally the king comes to his counselor. He says, I, I figured it out. I figured out what to do. He began taking off his kingly robe. He sat down his scepter. He took off his crown. He took off his sept- uh, signet ring. He said, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put on the clothing of a peasant and I'm going to go live in her village and I'm going to approach her not as a king but as an equal. I'm going to, to win her heart as, as one would in her community. And then once I've won her heart, then I'll let her know that I'm the king. In many ways, this is what Jesus has done. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus loved us enough that he didn't love us from a distance. And when he comes to us, he doesn't force us to follow him. He doesn't hold up a sword and say, repent, or I'm, I'm you know, doing away with you. He gets into our world. He loves us in the place that we live. He humbles himself. He put, and this is what Philippians is saying, he, he did not consider his equality with God something that could be grasped. He didn't use that to exploit people. Do we ever use our position to exploit people sometimes? Do we ever use uh, our connections to, to get around the law when we get pulled over by the cops? You ever, I, I don't know anybody in here who's, you know, knows a friend of a friend who knows a police officer who knows that person who can pull the ticket out. And, uh, but I've heard of people that have done that before. And... Uh, but we, many times, we use our position to our own benefit. Many times we take our 
resources and we use them to further ourselves. Jesus put aside everything he had access to. At any moment, he could have snapped his fingers and smote them all. Smote. That's our word for the week. If you can use it in a sentence by the water cooler. Jesus could have at any moment called, called on angels and they could have just annihilated everybody. But he didn't use his power as God. He, he did it. He fought the battle as a man. He was obedient even to death on the cross. See, what we find is in the Old Testament, even Israel. Israel was called to be the servant people whose suffering, obedience to God's saving plan, would be the unexpected way of dealing with the world's sorry state. That's what Israel's calling was, but they didn't fulfill it. Israel, too, ended up in slavery. And they went the way of Adam, just like Alexander and just like Augustus. I read this, one of my favorite authors, a guy named N.T. Wright, he, he, he came up with this very insightful line. He says, you become like what you worship. You become like what you worship. The psalmist actually, you know, he got the idea from the psalmist, but uh, the psalmist writes, I forget which psalm it is, but he says, those who make idols will become like them. An idol is just a statue with ears and eyes and a nose, but he says, you'll become just like that idol, having eyes but not being able to see, having ears but not being able to hear, having, having, losing your sensitivity. And in many ways, I think we make this caricature of Jesus, of God, as if God is, is something that he's not, and we worship this idea of God that God is uh, about subjecting people and using his power over people to get his way. And, and because of that, in America, many times we see Christians are the most, you know, many times Christians end up becoming the ones who grab for power more than anybody. And we get nice and ugly when we're trying to do it because we've been worshiping a God in our minds that is like that. But Jesus says, no, that's not the way. We're not going to coerce people, manipulate people, guilt people, pressure people into following. No, you're going to do the same thing that I did. And it comes through love, through humility. That's only going to happen as we worship the Jesus that is love, that's humility, that's serving. See, I, I, I think many times we have rather a pagan view of Jesus. We have this idea of Jesus being like the way that all these other people viewed their other gods in pagan uh, times. We need eye surgery. So I want to close with a couple of questions here. A couple of things to ask ourselves. Where are we being tempted right now? Where am I being tempted right now to grasp for power? Where am I being tempted to use my position, my place of power uh, to my own benefit rather than to look out to the needs of others? How have I been tempted to view God in ways that are different from what we see God in these scriptures? Hebrews 12, 2-3 says this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, the reality is, if we follow 
what Paul is talking about, if we follow these, these words in Philippians, which I hope we're trying to do a bit more each day, if we follow these words, there are going to be times where you look foolish. There are going to be times where you're biting your tongue. <laughs> the other night, Dina was on Facebook. I wasn't on Facebook because I'm on a Facebook fast. I'm not boasting about that. But uh, Dina was checking out at Facebook, and one of my friends, a uh, good friend of mine, Christian, he wrote some comments on Facebook that... Uh, were not real nice concerning another person. Uh, and the problem is a lot of Christians were reading what he wrote, and they're like, amen, brother, that dude is so wrong. And, <laughs> and Dina kind of snap, snap reaction. She's like, well, I, she wrote out a comment. She was about, she's like, check out this comment that I'm going to put. And I read it. I'm like, babe, I agree with you. I, I think you are very much right here. But hitting that post button, what's it really going to do? You think you're going to convince this guy that he's wrong by publicly arguing with him on Facebook? Does that ever work out? You know, the, the whole... I read a lot of blogs, and they're, you know, on the comment sections, people are... It's like, oh, especially Christian blogs, they're the worst. People just... They just want to fight and be contentious. And I said, is, is it really going to do anything productive... And she was like, no, but he's wrong. <laughs> I was like, babe, I agree. And, and, and I, I, I'm not saying you're wrong for wanting to put that there. But, but I can't help it because we've been in Philippians. <laughs> <laughs> and Paul, even when Paul had people that were, were preaching the gospel from different motives and trying to make his life worse, what, Paul, what did Paul say? He's like, hey... Whatever they're doing, hey, at least they're talking about Jesus. I said, you know, it's not our job to defend Jesus. It's not our job to get in fights with other Christians. Sometimes following the path of Jesus on humility, loving other people, taking the low road, sometimes you're going to look like a fool. Sometimes you don't get the last word. Sometimes you look like you lost. Paul looked like a fool. Paul was in prison. He looked like he was going to die. It looked like Christianity as a movement was over. But Paul said, don't sweat it. This is all, God's in the midst of this. God's in the midst of prison, and he's working things out. Even for the church in Philippi, understand these people who were saying Jesus is Lord and Caesar's not, they were getting persecuted like crazy. All of a sudden, all of a sudden it, was, it was hurting their pocketbooks following Jesus. Now they didn't have the same privileges and rights as other people. But were they fighting for their rights? Were they petitioning Rome? Were they saying, this is injustice? Paul was saying, don't worry about it. You may look stupid right now. You may look foolish. But Jesus, at the end of this, what do we see? Jesus, who humbled himself, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but was obedient even to death on, a Christ, uh, death on the cross. What's it say about him at the end of this passage? It says, on page, here we go. It says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. See, in the end, everybody's going to know 
that even though Jesus may have looked foolish, he may have looked like a guy who just started some kind of failed ministry in, in the Middle East, everyone will knee, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, every eye will see that Jesus is the Son of God. And so, even if we look foolish right now sometimes, there's going to be a day where everything comes to light. There's going to be a day, and, and Paul says, you have the mindset of Jesus. That's the only way you're going to make this. And, and I got to tell you, working on humility in your own strength, working on, on being gracious and loving people, uh, apart from looking at Jesus and being empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's impossible. And if, you, if, you're, not, if you're going to try it outside of that, just give up. I don't have enough love and grace and humility in my heart <laughs> to, to, to make it more than about three seconds. But when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, when we keep our, our vision focused on Him, when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, when our lives are open to Him, then we find a strength that even in the moments where we just have to, we want to defend ourselves, we want to get pulled into things, we can just say, hey, Blessed be God's name, he's here. I, I want to close today by singing a song that was inspired by this hymn that Paul quotes here. So why don't you stand up? Jesus, son.